morning, church. Got my Bible and my surfboard. That's really all I need. So those of you who've known me for some time, um, you probably are not surprised that it's fairly easy to get me to talk a lot about surfing. And I can talk your ear off about surfing. But just because I talk to you a lot about surfing, it doesn't make you a surfer, right? Does that make sense? But I can talk to you about the culture of surfing. I can talk to you about the history of surfing. I can talk to you about individual surfers. I can talk to you about surfboard design, hydrodynamics, I can talk to you about fin design. I don't have any fins on the board, but that plays a big part into the surfing world. I can talk to you about the construction of surfing, what the materials are made out of. The foam density is important of what kind of foam you use. I can talk to you about the different types of fiberglass that they're using. They're, they're messing around with Kevlar you know, bulletproof stuff. And so they're playing around with Kevlar, a relation to Kevlar. They're also doing carbon. That's been around for a while. But in, in addition to Kevlar, this is, a re, this is related to Kevlar, and it's called Inegra. And I can talk to you a lot about this specific board. I won't tell you the nitty-gritty details in our family, but this board is so strong that it got ran over not on purpose, in my garage with a GMC Yukon XL, which is the big suburban thing, and look at it. It works. Those of you that want to know the details of how that happened, you can speak to my wife who is sitting over here. <laughs> so nothing happened to this. So I can talk to you a lot about surfing but it doesn't make you a surfer. However, if I get a show of hands of how many of you here today would love to learn how to surf, raise your hand. Like four of you, nice. I don't blame you. It's, it, I would take you to shark attack capital of the world, Volusia County, we, we live there. New Smyrna has all sorts of little fishies that nibble on you. But if I ask you, come join me, and I teach you how to get on a surfboard, paddle out to the waves, how to duck dive underneath waves that are coming to hit you, and we get out to the surf break, and then I'm bobbing around with you. I place you on the board. I tell you, this is about where you want to put your chest. And then I push you on a wave at the proper timing when that wave gets there. I tell you to paddle like crazy. And then you pop up on your feet from your belly. You pop up and you place your feet in the right place. And you have a certain stance and you look a certain way where you're looking. And you're experiencing that with me. And you ride and stand on a wave. Even if it's for two seconds, we will count it in Florida. Two seconds, then you, because you experienced it with me, are now a surfer. But if I just talk to you about surfing and you just listen, it doesn't make you a surfer. So I have a question for you. You're going to answer this question to your neighbor. Thank you, Vince. So 
look to your neighbor, and you're going to say this. You're going to answer this question. Who was the first person that you can remember in your memory, who was the first person to talk to you about Jesus? Tell your neighbor who that was. All right, I like all the mumbling. Now, here is the second question. This is a very different question. Who's the first person to talk to you about Jesus? Who is the first person that taught you how to follow Jesus? Two very different questions. Tell that, tell that neighbor who is the first person to teach you how to walk with Jesus? In other words, who took you on the experience of experiencing who Jesus is and how to walk with Jesus? Those are two very different questions, and here's the thing. I can talk to you a lot about Jesus, way more than surfing. I can talk to you a lot about Jesus, but just because I talk to you a lot about Jesus, it doesn't, make, it doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. It doesn't make you a disciple of Jesus. But if I bring you along the journey and we do life together, then you eventually become and know how to follow Jesus on your own. So who taught you how to follow Jesus? Let me just define really quick what a disciple is. A follower of Jesus, that's what a disciple is. And a disciple is simply this. A disciple is one who follows Jesus, and when they commit to Jesus, they become a discipler who is discipling somebody else to follow Jesus. And they, in turn, follow Jesus, and then they disciple a disciple that disciples a disciple that disciples a disciple, and it keeps on going throughout history. So somewhere in your spiritual lineage, hundreds of years ago, was told about Jesus, was walked through how to follow Jesus, and because those individuals made decisions, you are a follower of Jesus. Are you carrying on that tradition, though. So, if you want to wrestle with two questions today, I'm going to give them to you. Who is teaching you how to follow Jesus? In other words, do you have a spiritual mentor? Do you have a spiritual parent or a grandparent? If you don't, don't let that be an excuse if somebody hasn't come alongside of you. Search for that person that you highly respect that lives the gospel in their lives and say, I really respect that person. I would like them to teach me what they know about Jesus. And you ask them. So, who is teaching you how to follow Jesus? The second question is this. For those of you who are more seasoned in your faith, who are you teaching to follow Jesus? 
Who are you a spiritual mentor to? Who are you teaching to follow Jesus? We're going to get into the Word of God here for a little bit. Um, Paul is on his second missionary journey. He shows up to this little town, and he met a young man who was a disciple. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, this is where Paul and Timothy encounter each other. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived. Check this out. Whose mother was Jewish, Timothy's mother was Jewish, and a believer. Okay, what usually that indicates is a believer in Jesus as well. But whose father was a Greek. So there was one parent that we know of that we assume, because we don't hear much more, one other place we hear about Timothy's father, and we assume that Timothy's father was part of a Gnostic philosophy, and, and so he did, not, he did not, in Scripture as far as we know, was not a believer. It just says he's a Greek. So Timothy was already disciple before he met Paul. So this is an interesting question here. So who showed Timothy how to follow Jesus? You've got to come, go out of the book of Acts to get that. So in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, which is a book that Paul wrote to Timothy, talk about that later. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5, it says this. Again, we're answering the question, who taught Timothy how to follow Jesus? You follow me? I guess not. Do you follow me? Well, there you go. I thought third service was a talkative service. I don't know what's going on here. I am reminded of your sincere faith. This is Paul. Paul saying, Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and then in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Timothy's spiritual lineage came from family. So please do not misconstrue anything that I'm about to, to tell you, parents in this room, and you can't hide, parents, because I counted over 125, I couldn't count around the corner, 125 children up here, so there's a lot of parents in this room. So li listen. Parents, you guys literally took be fruitful and multiply seriously and literally. <laughs> boom, full. There wasn't even enough steps up here for kids. So if you're a parent or a future parent, listen carefully. Wake your kids up, shake them up, because this is important, kids. Make sure your parents are listening to this. It is your responsibility, mom and dad, to teach your kids how to follow Jesus. You are the primary discipler of your child. And before they leave your home, your main objective to your kid is not your straight A's. Your main objective is can they and will they follow Jesus independently of my hovering? That's your test. And so, one of the things that you cannot do as a parent is delegate that responsibility to the local church. 
or delegate that responsibility to the school thinking, well, the pastors do Bible study stuff and Sabbath school stuff. Maybe that will be the peppered on spirituality that my kid needs. One hour a week, if you show up on Sabbath, is what your spiritual training of your child will get. They're with you a lot more than one hour. And then I'm going to send them to school five days a week, and if I send them to a private school, Fleece, FLA, any other Christian school in the area, if I send them there, then there should be some Bible classes that will train them spiritually as well. Do not depend on that, any of those institutions, for your responsibility to raise your child to be a follower of Jesus. Now here's the beauty of the Adventist church, okay? This is, this is a question that, that I love to answer with kids who are struggling with Adventism. And I love to tell them, well, here's why. I say, I say first and foremost, I'm a follower of Jesus, because that's the most important thing, by the way. And yes, I choose to serve in the context of the Seventh-day Adventist church. It's usually my answer. I believe, I have a strong conviction that our Adventists are, are, are three main institutions are this perfect spiritual ecosystem for a child to grow in Jesus. Because if you have people at home, moms and dads that take the job of raising spiritual champions to follow Jesus, and then you've got a local church who's pouring into families and kids and teaching them to follow Jesus, and then you have the school where they're asking the question, what must a child need before they graduate from our institution, what must they know? What must they experience? What questions must they ask in order for them to become independent followers of Jesus outside of mom and dad? And all those three institutions, home, church, school, united together for the sole purpose of raising a follower of Jesus. I believe it's the perfect spiritual ecosystem, and it should be valued, but it's something that we definitely need to work on in all areas. I'm done preaching on preaching stuff on that. Sorry, I got a little intense. Now, because Timothy had faith that was passed down from grandmother to his mother, and to him. Paul took notice, but so did the whole town. If you look at the next verse, verse 2 in chapter 16, it says, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. In other words, Timothy was a man that lived the gospel at home, and he lived the gospel in the community, and because he did, people took notice. Now, we think, not me, but smart Bible scholar people think, that Paul, I mean Timothy, would have been around age 20, 21 years old. And the community took notice. And Paul took notice and said, 
I'm going to nurture that faith. I'm going to come along this young man, and I'm going to build on that foundation. So, Paul, verse 3, chapter 16, verse 3, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. You get it? So, if I want to teach somebody how to surf and experience, come along. Let's go experience it. Let's get toppled over in some waves. We will learn how to surf together. Paul looked at him and said, hey, come along the journey. Learn how to live your life out and be in the thick of ministry trenches. I will show you how to grow deeper in Jesus, and we will do life together. And so Paul said, come along the journey, verse 4, as they traveled from town to town. So now they're traveling. Timothy is along for the journey. Paul invited him, saying, come, let's experience this together. So they traveled from town to town. They delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So Paul mentored Timothy by taking him along the journey. Paul spiritually nurtured Timothy. He encouraged Timothy. And a godly mother and grandmother raised Timothy, laid the foundation for his faith, but Paul helped build upon that spiritual foundation. And even as Timothy started to make his own disciples for Jesus, Paul from a distance, not with Timothy anymore, would write him letters of encouragement and wisdom. And we get that in the form of First and Second Timothy. So does the process, here's a question that you should process here, does the process of disciples making disciples that make disciples work? Does it work? Because that sounds like a lot of work. That sounds like I'm going to get into people's stuff. And that sounds like it's going to be some drama. That sounds like it's going to take some serious effort to ask somebody to come and experience the messiness of growing up in Christ. Because it can get messy. And I don't know if I have that much time on my hands. So does this method of discipleship that disciples other disciples that disciple other disciples work? Well, let's see what Scripture says. Chapter 16, this is the next verse, chapter 5 of Acts. It says, so the churches, because of this process, by the way, so the churches were strengthened in the faith. We want to strengthen Forest Lake Church. We need to step up and be disciples that disciple that disciple that disciple. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Daily in numbers. So all Christians, and I, this, is, this is a strange assumption. I'm just guessing that every person upstairs and downstairs, that you all are Christians, or at least say, you're Christians. So just an assumption because you're in church. Be kind of a strange thing if you showed up or woke up this morning and said, I'm not a Christian, but I'm going to wake up and go to the Forest Lake Church. If you're here, I'd love to talk to you. I think it's awesome. 
But the rest of you that come here, they're sitting in the pews. I'm just assuming that you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus. All Christians, there is no one here that is exempt from this. Need believers who are further along their spiritual journey to be a spiritual mentor or a spiritual parent. I don't care how old you are. Every Christian needs to have somebody. Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man to another. You need to have iron sharpens iron relationships so that you help grow. Find some of that. Those of you that are younger, find somebody who is more seasoned and, and experienced in their faith. Ask them, can you spiritually mentor me? That's a weird thing to say because, I'll tell you this, strategy of Satan doesn't want that to happen because it blows up Satan's plans. So he'll distract you of all sorts of things. But this is something that, that we are called as disciples to do because if you're a disciple, you're discipling somebody else that disciples somebody else that disciples somebody else. So now here's part of my story. Some of you are thinking, I thought this wasn't preaching stuff. Um, I, I have to preach the Word of God. And um, here's part of my story that reflects what I just shared. So 20 years ago this month, I stood on this platform and preached my first sermon here. 20 years ago. You're scratching your head. How is that possible? Yeah, it's crazy, right? 20 years ago. And one thing's never changed. Every time the senior pastor um, threatens me to get up here to speak because it's not always my favorite thing, doesn't threaten, but coerce me or pay me a lot of money, Matt, if you want. So, so every single time, one thing's never changed. That, that upfront speaking sensation of wanting to throw up, still there. All the time, it's always there. And so 20 years ago, I stood up here and preached my first sermon at the Forest Lake Church. Here's what you don't know about my story. So the years before that, you don't know, and we're going to start only at the 20-year mark for your benefit and your children's ears. <laughs> so when I came to Forest Lake Church, I was in an extremely dark space in my life. I was an incredibly insecure pastor, and I was a very insecure leader. And what some of you don't know is that ministry can be sometimes brutal behind the scenes that church members don't see. And I'm not going to draw a curtain for you to peek into that world, but I'm not, also not going to candy coat it. And so when I came here, I did not feel valued at first because of that insecurity. When I came here, 
I didn't think that I was good enough to do anything. I don't deserve being here. I don't know if I'm going to be here long. All the pastors that are here are super talented and gifted, and that's just not me. That was my mindset. It was a lie from Satan, but that was what I believed because of my past. And I'm going to share with you certain people in this church over the years, especially in my early years, that came alongside of me at God's timing, God's timing to, whether it's to encourage or give wisdom or just sit and talk. And so the first person that I remember coming here was a guy by the name of Terry Pooler. He was a senior pastor at the time. He stuck his neck out on the line for me because he didn't know me that well. He took his youth pastor, Jeff Gang at the time, took his word for it because we were neighbors, and he's like, you should talk to Mark. He might be, you know, uh, a good fit here. And Terry had me over to his house, and we talked about philosophy of ministry. And um, when I came home, Deborah and I were jobless. We didn't know what we were going to do the following year. She's like, what was that all about? I don't know. We talked philosophy of ministry. The next day, Terry said, hey, um, I would really like you to meet the staff and see if this is something that um, they might have a connection with you. And so, long story short, um, Florida Conference, the local church, took a risk um, in me and hired me. And I can, I'll never forget all those emotions I described earlier, what I felt. And for first 16 months, I did not have an office. My office was when a pastor wasn't in their office, I would sneak into their office and I would work. And, and so many of those times, um, I had to go into Pastor Matt's office where Terry was and work on a little table there because all the offices were full. And that was my opportunity to ask a man that was more seasoned in his faith than I was a lot of questions. And I talked to Terry for hours, maybe more than he ever wanted to talk to me, but I would ask him about spirituality and leadership, and his doctoral dissertation whew, over my head. And, and I would talk to him about theology. I would talk to him about spiritual leadership and church governance. And never once did he indicate in any of his body language, 70% of your communication is body language, so watch out. Um, you can get that when your little girl nods her head like this at you, and you're like, oh, I know what that means. Attitude all day long. So, so, so none of the body language that he gave me was any indicator that I annoyed him, but that he valued me, and he valued those questions. It was huge for me at the time, especially where I was at in my mental space. There's another guy that some of you know who is a church member here, but he used to work for the conference. He actually is the guy that hired me out of Southern Adventist University in 1997. Thank you, Deborah. 1997. 
And uh, he interviewed me, hired me to come to Florida Conference. And, um, and he was a church member here. And when I came here, um, Lewis Hendershot was just like this calming. Have you ever listened to his voice? It's so buttery and manly and just calming. And I would come across and I was all, when he would ask questions, I'd be like, that's about how I sounded. And he would just listen. It's like, Mark, and just this calming spirit. He was always there at the perfect timing to give wisdom, to give advice, to point me to Jesus constantly, to get me out of trouble where I thought was, I wrote this letter, let me read it to you. And he goes, hmm, let's hold on to that letter for a little bit. And so uh, Lewis was huge. It's another guy that um, some of you might know. He, he was a board member at the time. And um, man, Bill Hopp was amazing. And so this guy, every once in a while, would have me over at his house. And he would ask me questions. How's your heart? How's your heart? How's ministry? How are you connecting with everybody? And just ask me exactly at the time when I needed to kind of just share stuff, somebody would call. And there was always people that wouldn't call that I wished would call, but you know what? I needed to reach out to them too. And so there was this other guy, kind of just this, I mean, a, a, a sage, just wisdom all over the place. And every time we would go to board meeting, um, you know, board meetings at times, believe it or not, can have tension. If you've ever been to a board meeting, it can get sometimes riled. And so this was the guy who, at the end of everybody's soapbox speeches, that, by the way, never happens at Forest Lake. Every board member's perfect. And, and, and so... All, all would be said, and then this one individual would speak up. And he was quiet. He wouldn't say it real loud. He wasn't uh, animated. He would just speak godly wisdom to the group. And I observed that for a couple years. I said, I've got to know what this guy has here. You know, I want to get to know him. So I called him up on the phone, and I said, Martian, I would love to take you out to lunch to your favorite restaurant. He's like, great, let's go to Olive Garden. So we went, someone went, oh. <laughs> so we went to Olive Garden. And, and I had this little recorder about this big. This was before the days of smartphones. I had this little tiny recorder, and I put that recorder there. And um, I said, do you mind if I record our conversation? He says, oh, no, not at all. And I asked him 10 questions that I designed to learn about spiritual leadership from a man of God with incredible wisdom. And you know, what was interesting is I asked these questions and I listened to somebody who was more seasoned. He didn't come to me. I went to him. I wanted to learn. I wanted to grow. So sometimes you have to do that. And, and so... He spent that time with me. I learned more lessons about his failures than his successes. And he said that he would see Jesus navigating his life through the failures 
more than through the successes. And I valued those conversations with Martian. So another guy calls me up on the phone and got me out of staff meeting for a couple seconds. I, I don't do that often, but calls me up on the phone, says, hey, Mark, I, I want to, um, I want to invest in your leadership. Oh, nice. I like that. And Brian Paradis sponsored me to go to a nine-month leadership course with other Christian professionals all over the city of Orlando. Some of you probably know LifeWorks Leadership. It used to be called Greater Orlando Leadership Foundation. And man, that changed my view of marketplace ministry. Those of you who are not in full-time ministry are in full-time ministry because you're a Christian <laughs> and you work in the marketplace. And, and it, it's, it's amazing to me how many incredible Christians all over and, and, and leaders all over the Orlando area pour themselves into their colleagues and, and employees and, and co-workers through living out the gospel at their business place, in the marketplace. And that was a valuable lesson. Somebody invested and said, go do this. Then there are those that are encouragers. And you know, it's awesome to get affirmation every once in a while. And, um, and the timing of godly affirmation is so perfect. Because you can be in one of your toughest places in life, and if somebody comes along, you know, you can be like little droopy in your emotions or whatever, and it's just like spritzing water on a flower. It's just like, whoop, it comes to life again. So words of affirmation, be generous with your words. It's, it's huge. Words of encouragement are huge for each other, for your family, for your spouse, for your children. And, and words of encouragement was powerful um, throughout this time. I'll never forget um, three people I'll mention here real quick. Um, Tom Emdy was always this encourager. He would always sneak into my Sabbath schools in the back. He thought he was sneaky, but I knew exactly if he'd came, come in. And I'm not sure if he was spying on me to see if I was teaching heresy to the children or what it was. But he would always go ask Tom this question. What was the topic every single time you walked into Pastor Mark's Sabbath school? Just ask him that. You'll get entertained by what the topic was every single time. But he's always been this, this incredible encourager. There's another guy that sits in first service out there in the back row, character. And, um, and his name was, uh, Ran is Ransom Smith. So many of you know Ransom. But he's always been, cheered you on. Whenever he sees you in the parking lot, you know, he fist bumps you, and he's got this swagger about himself, but he's always had awesome words of encouragement. And someone who's not with us anymore, Lois Northcutt, she's this tiny little lady. She was in charge. She wrote a lot of the bylaws and, and policies here in this church long ago. And she'd come to me, grab my shoulders, and she would say the sweetest, most amazing, intentional things about my ministry and it was people like those that I mentioned that just encouraged and lifted you up at the perfect timing. 
There are two other men that um, I haven't mentioned, but over 10 years ago, they invited me into their small group. This is a group of men. And we talk about three things, you know, three or four things. Is what, it, what, is, what does it mean to be a man of God? What does it mean to be um, a, a man of God that is a, a husband, that is a father, and that is a son? And so all of our conversations are built around that. And these men, 10, 15 years older than me, came to me and said, do you want to join our group? Much more seasoned in their faith. And the wisdom that I have gained on these regular times that we meet have been absolutely phenomenal in my growth in Jesus. You are not meant to do spiritual life alone. You weren't created that way. We were always created for community, and we were created to be disciples that disciple others that disciple others. Last two questions that I'm going to leave you. Who right now is teaching you how to follow and grow in Jesus? And who are you helping or teaching follow and grow Jesus? There is opportunity in this church. You just have to make the decision, am I ready to be discipled and am I ready to start discipling?